Peoples of the universe, please attend carefully. There is effing and jeffing in this podcast. If you're easily offended, please turn off now. finally cut the strings and have now had to cope with reality and it's just too much. I don't think she would have called anyone a freak because she would have been so inclusive. Had no memory of the blue dude whatsoever. I like to think they were going to a peace conference that the master was going to hijack. I do read. I think that was the point of that sentence. <laughs> Morgane is the proto-river song. No frickin' clue, Flower. Hello and welcome to World Enough and Time. This is me, Alex Harper. And this is me, Andy Priestner. Yes! <laughs> Here we are! Yet again! I'm on my own. I've got a glass of wine and I don't have you here. I knew it would feel sad, but it does. Yeah, it is sad, isn't it? I'm sat here with a cup of coffee. I've stuffed two pieces of toast with marmalade on them down my throat <laughs> with a view to waking up. Nice. Oh, I'm sorry. I do appreciate my evening podcast. <laughs> yeah, and my morning one. Yeah, not so nice. What episode are we on? Oh, God. I was trying to work this out. Is it six or five? Six. It's six. Hooray. That shows commitment to the art of podcasting. I think it does. I really do. Yeah. Are you loving it? I'm enjoying doing the podcasting, yes. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed listening back to our last episode, but you shouldn't say that on a podcast, should you? Actually, you should just be all above that and just say, it, it was okay. <laughs> or I didn't really re-listen to it because I'm embarrassed about the sound of my own voice, but yes, it was really good listening to us back. <laughs> Gosh. Um. We've got a bit of business to clear up, and it relates to, um, I will I will do the doobry. The Sunmaker's Hall of Fame supporting character. We're a bit bothered about this, aren't we, Anna? What on earth is wrong with you all? Honestly. Really? <laughs> what happened there? I, I think she was lucky to scrape in there with a nomination, but goodness me, who was the winner? Tell me. Tell me loudly. So the winner, um, I don't know how, was Veet, played by Adrian Burgess. Um, and the winner should have been, of course... Mm. Cordo, the winner of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know what happened. Don't know what happened. Can we trust our, our public anymore, Alex? I think we need to give them more time. I'm thinking give them a month to fully, fully work out the error of their ways. and Perhaps try it again. Maybe there should be a follow-up poll. Okay, so maybe we should add another one about the Sunmakers again, just to check they actually meant that. Keep it open for longer. Yeah. (laughs) And then do one for for Uh, this month's episode as well. Yes. Good plan. I fear that they've read the question wrong, and it was, which is your favourite hair removal cream? And no one had heard of Cordo and Bisham. (laughs) I think you might be right. Right. You know what it's time for? Oh, God. Honestly, you'd think I'd know the format by now, but actually, I'm just excited to find out. It's a quiz! Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Every time, the feeling of joy in my heart. It's a quiz! That's lovely. So, this week, the quiz questions are brought to us from all the way from 1981... Oh, golly me. Yeah, what does he mean? What can it even mean? I have opened... Yeah, what does he mean? <laughs> I have opened a box of old Doctor Who books um, following our move, and I pulled out the Doctor Who quiz book. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's so... Is that the one? It just got a TARDIS on the front and a few stars. Is that the one? It's kind of Space Invader themed because it was obviously at the same time as um, those Space Invader games. So it's got Space Invaders on the front as well. It's gorgeous. Amazing. So, it's got a forward by John Nathan Turner as well, which I like. 
good. So does it have any value in? No, no, not at all. So I'm going to okay. ask you to choose a page between page 15 and page 78, please. Oh, that. Oh, I could end up in some no man's land of Patrick Troutonness. Um, forty-two. Yes. I'm flicking. That's so funny. <laughs> no, it's not Patrick Troughton, though. The Adventures of the Second Doctor. <laughs> oh, 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 no. This could have been such good value, but not anymore. Right. Right. I'll model my way through. So I'm going to only ask you five questions this time. But, no, should I keep it at ten? I don't know. No, five, I think. Um, ten. ten. Oh, you want ten? You want ten, okay. But you are allowed to choose them. Oh. You need to choose ten from one to twenty. Start at five. Hmm. Five. Who was the leader of the space pirates whom the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe met? I don't bloody know. <laughs> oh, I'm already annoyed with this one. <laughs> so the answer to that one, which I wouldn't have got either, <laughs> Good. was Caven or Cavern. Okay. Oh, yeah. Next one. Uh Next one. Oh, oh, that's me. Um, Seven. Seven. Who was the young woman who aided the Doctor and Jamie in their struggle with the chameleons? (laughs) (laughs) No. There's people listening. Screaming out, saying, how does she not know this? I don't really know a many Patrick Trout ones. It's not my fault. Whoever got rid of the old archives, it's their fault. Um, I don't know. So this is the, the Faceless Ones, and it's Samantha Briggs, played by Pauline Collins. Oh, yeah. Who's almost a companion. Did you know that or not? I didn't, but I'm kind of glad she didn't become one, because I don't love her. No, I think that's right. Okay. What number? Hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to go with six. I feel like there's something in this vicinity that's for me. <laughs> six. The white robots who threatened the Doctor and his companions were the servants of whom? Yeah? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But if I tell you the story, which isn't part of the question, but it's the mind yeah. robber. Oh, I should know this then. Okay, sorry, say the question again. I might have just closed off unnecessarily. The white robots who threatened the Doctor and his companions were the servants of whom? No, I don't bloody know. No, I have no memory now. I think I wiped it from my brain. So, the master of the land of fiction. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Him himself. But in here it says the, the master brain which controlled the land of fiction, which is, might be the fact that they hadn't had the chance to watch it again, because I don't know about the master brain. That was something that, isn't that something that Angela Rippon used to present that was awful? Or was, no, that was Master Team. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> Angela Rippon was okay. not involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your fourth question. Choose a number. Ten. Ten. What was the island of death on the planet Dulcis? <laughs> Dulcis. No, I'm I'm getting closer. Dulcis. Oh. Oh. The island of death. Dulcis. Oh golly, of course I know where Dulcis is. I don't know where Dulcis is. I should do. <laughs> so that was an island oh. devastated by an island devastated by atomic war on which there was a war museum in the Dominators. Yes. See, I knew it. <laughs> Great. Good. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, me again. Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. What was the main function of the ionizer, which was used during Earth's second ice age? <laughs> mm, yes. Um, to make things a bit. Colder, warmer, <laughs> not temperature related. Don't know. <laughs> it was to halt the steady advance of the glaciers, apparently, or glaciers. So definitely a little bit weathery. Yeah, it was. So we're halfway through. You have zero points. 
Come on. There is one. Wait, no, this is the perfect time to change age. No. 45, no, 45. No, we're coming no, on. 45. We're coming on. Um, you'll get- oh, this is like, this is my childhood again. The rules are the rules are the rules. <laughs> 45. No. <laughs> Come on. You'll be able to get some of these, I promise you. Right. Okay, can you just choose some that you think I may have knowledge of? Okay. You've just been unlucky with what you've chosen. No, I want you to keep randomly choosing because it's been fun so far. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thirteen. Thirteen. Why did the t- doctor decide to visit Professor Travers when the TARDIS landed in London in the late 20th century? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> because he thought he was doing some interesting research. That's it. All you're getting. Ask for his assistance in giving the TARDIS a much needed overhaul. Wow. That is like. Right. That's a tiny little scripted line from 1968 that no one would ever have remembered. Um, another one? <laughs> oh, yes. 14. God. I didn't know this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said 15. Don't get confused. <laughs> Who was the second in command of the Martian spaceship which was found in the ice during the Second Ice Age? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so ice warriors have very formulaic names, so it'll be like Borlag, General Borlag. (laughs) I think that's a really good ice warrior name. I think I'm going to give you an honorary point for Borlag, but it's... (laughs) But it's Zondal. <laughs> See? It's the rule. Borlag Zondal. Yeah. Wasn't that the name of a made-up planet I gave in one of the previous episodes? Um, Quite possibly. Okay. You're doing really well. You've got three more chances. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 17. Oh. What does the word side rat stand for? doesn't stand for anything. It's the reverse of TARDIS. I so, know, and that's so funny because there's an answer here that's never said in the war games as well. <laughs> this is so hard. Um, space in dimensions relative <laughs> and time. <laughs> <laughs> you think, wouldn't you? It should be. You I reckon would. he made this territory, made this up for the book. Space and intertime directional robot all-purpose transporter. Never, <laughs> ever said. Never said. Lies. Oh, but Terence Dix did all of the target books, didn't he? So he probably put that into his target book and decided it was then a rule. Yeah, made it up. Not impressed. Right, you've got two more chances. Okay, uh, 20. 20. How were the crotons on the planet of the Gons finally destroyed? Well, I've seen this story. This is a first. Um, oh, they were made to feel very confused and then exploded. It generally happens with a robot. Oh, I thought you might get that one. Um, sulfuric acid. No. One. Oh. When the cro- it's another croton-related question. <laughs> <laughs> My intense knowledge of the crotons will be amazing here. Yes. When the Crotons attacked the TARDIS, it protected itself by using the HADS. What is the HADS? Oh, it's like a defence system. Uh, uh, something defence... Is that... Am I on a track here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh... Uh... uh <laughs> 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 and defence system, that. But what, just explain what it does and you get the point. I've no frickin' clue, Flower. I just have a very vague memory of the word hands meaning something defensive. Not a clue. No memory. That's my favourite line in the podcast ever so far. I've no frickin' clue, Flower. (laughs) Help me. I'm going to give you half a point for it being a defence system. Good. A system whereby if the TARDIS is attacked, it dematerialises and shortly afterwards rematerialises somewhere else. Ah, so what did HADS stand for? It stands for the Hostile Action Displacement System. Oh, I didn't even say fucking the... Ah, good. But yes, I knew that-ish. 
Good. Well, um, half a point plus one honorary point for naming a nice warrior that doesn't exist. Well, I feel that my um, knowledge of Doctor Who has been solidified in that round, and everyone is now confident they're listening to a true expert. Yes, exactly. But what I like about what just happened then, and it was entirely down to fate and chance, is that's exactly our experience of the Doctor Who quiz book back in the early 80s when we had to... <laughs> when we couldn't answer anything, could we? Oh, my Lord. Well, I think, to be honest, I do feel that my childhood, as I've said many times, was rather lovely. But I think a lot of our quizzes, I think you were aware that I might lose interest quite quickly. So they were very tailored to, let's just put some in there that she's definitely going to know so she doesn't get very bored, so we can continue this on a bit longer. (laughs) I think you finally cut the strings and have now had to cope with reality, and it's just too much. Um, I've just flicked to a page on the Adventures of the Fourth Doctor 1, and there are actually pen marks next to the ones that I think you would be able to answer. (laughs) The fact that we had them on video, or so it must have been a bit later on. Yeah, there are. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Right, moving on from the Doctor Who quiz book, what fun. Yes. Okay. Um, What's next, Al? What's next? Um, Well, I thought that I could hear a bird flapping. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) The buttons, the buttons. (laughs) The Kalyak sat on my laptop. Naughty crow, get off. <laughs> is Janet oh. fielding after the bird again? Oh, she is. Oh, Janet. You know, she is very excited by Janet Fielding's. Um... Oh, hello. Oh, she. I t- I've been training her for days. I'm like, we're going to do a podcast soon. Remember to talk. And she doesn't generally talk much. So she just did a meow, but I don't think you heard it. Um, no. No, she's very excited by Janet Fielding's. Um, that um, Blu-ray um, video that she's just done. So cute. Oh, wasn't it amazing? I love that. Yes. I thought and... she was looking very good. Yes. Purple with press studs as well. I was very excited about that. Not as many press studs as in the visitation, no. though. <laughs> the press stud memo. Yes. So, anyway, she's getting bored here, the Kaliak, so I suppose we'd better listen to her news. <laughs> So, um, in time-honoured fashion, I've removed a scroll from her beak, and yeah, she hasn't done very well. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but she's the the Kaliak we know and love. What would it be like if she gave us actually good, useful news? Yeah. So it just basically is four four words on a piece of paper, and the fir- four words are still no transmission date. Uh, oh. Well, actually, that's useful, Kaliak, because I did spend a long time searching the other day because I felt confident it was coming soon. And I thought, maybe it's just because I'm in New Zealand. Maybe I'm just missing the news and everyone else knows. And if only the Kaliak had told me, I would have known and stopped searching and wasting my time trying to find the date. So you've been useful, Kaliak. I think Doctor Who fans all over the world are getting a bit irritated that there's been very little news for this series, but I, for one, am very pleased. I don't want news or spoilers or anything. I suppose it'd be kind of nice to know when it starts, but... Yeah, no, that it's a work towards. I like a countdown. Yeah, um, because I'll watch it whatever happens, whenever it is, so <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Yes, glorious. Okay, she's off. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> smiling <laughs> did you give her a did i give her a what <laughs> sweet a sweet no i didn't we don't want to feed her we don't want to encourage her uh-huh. too much she should be relying on the land <laughs> imagine the podcast without her though goodness me it wouldn't be the same <laughs> okay al let this be our last battlefield <laughs> good yes let it be 
Yes, Battlefield. Seeing as you chose it this this time, do you want to kick off? I'd love to. Um, okay, so for me, this one um, represents something very um, different to a lot of Doctor Who fans in that this is probably the start of my actual normal airtime memories. Like most of my Doctor Who memory joy is from video. And so this one, I actually remember being advertised and I remember the build-up and the excitement. Um, for me, when when Battlefield was on our screens it was like wow I remember waiting like it really was that week to week what's going to happen next kind of a feel for me so so this one um yeah it just there was quite a lot of nostalgia in there like I remember being excited by which way they were going to make things which way they were going to direct Doctor Who I knew that there was like so much unhappiness since the Colin Baker era and like Ace was there and there was going to be new stuff. And yeah, it, it was, it represented to me like a, a new hope. I was really so excited about this season. So yeah, that, that's, that was my first kind of big memory, I think from this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it, be, although I would say that because of that and because it was one of the earliest ones that we ever recorded on, on video <laughs> as well, but um, we perhaps watched it a lot, too much, maybe. Oh, okay. We've always had access to Battlefield in one way or another. So I'm yeah. quite pleased that I haven't watched it very much in the last 10 years. I've probably only watched it once in that time. Um, so, But I was a bit nervous about watching it again because I think the last time I watched it, I didn't really enjoy it and I thought it wasn't what I, it was cracked up to be in my in my mind. Yeah. I also think the context is important in terms of our lives, in terms of the fact that we were now living in Stafford, yeah. in the Midlands, um, in a shabby council house, um, and Dad had left. So Yeah, Dad had just left. Yeah. So we were in this sort of hinterland period in our lives where we had no money and and we didn't have a huge amount of choice on the food front in terms of what we were eating. <laughs> it was very much beans on toast territory. What? Yeah, super noodles and beans on toast, that is life. We were fine. But, <laughs> but um, I was 17, so I think I just started sixth form, and you were 11. So wow, quite a gap between us. I think it was just before I'd left Lee Sows. Yeah, so I was at the primary still that was going to feed into the school you were just about to leave. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. The other note I've put on... on um, on my iPad here is that I'd, I'd suddenly re- resubscribed to Doctor Who magazine because I was excited by right. all the hype. So I stopped subscribing when there was a picture of Kate O'Mara on the cover from Time of the Rani. Time of the Rani. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped then. Leave the girl. It's the man I want. <laughs> and then I started getting it again in response to um, to all the hype about um, Battlefield. I think really. Because there's loads of publicity shots on Bessie, wasn't there? Just heaps oh, really? Of them. I just remember lots of the the soldier guys and um, Mordred with his hat on. I think they call it a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, helmet. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, what else struck you on rewatch, Al? Um, ha- um, okay, so many things. Um, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't too disappointed on rewatching uh, about Sylvester and Sophie. Like I, I know that they aren't the most dynamic. Their acting skills possibly aren't the strongest. But I really, I, I wasn't annoyed by them. I felt like Sylvester McCoy put himself into this. Like he put his when he does his angry voice. Like it's it's not too believable, but he tries really hard to put some gravitas behind it which I thought was nice I liked um and that this actually struck me as well back to the fact that dad had gone I, I, I think I really appreciated the fatherly role he played with her like I loved the bit when he dots her on the nose and is just very protective of her and you know you're more important than anything else Excalibur and all the rest of it so that 
that I think um, that mattered to me with this. Um, Interesting, yeah. Vodka and Coke pack. Glass of water, please. Eighth. Oh, vodka and. I eighth. Lemonade, please. Good choice. Lemonade. Anything but the beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, just Jean Marsh was just fantastic. Like I, I think I was probably young enough to not have known her from anything else. Obviously, she's hugely important in the world. Um, but for me, this was my first um, exposure to her, and I. She was such a fantastic role in this. She was so strong. I just re-watching that how goes the day kind of scene where she's she's just been really vicious and nasty to her son but she's now just having a a gentle but really assertive chat with the brigadier and it's just yeah it's so cool loved her in every bit of it oh warrior no less how goes the day i've had better i am morgane the sun killer Dominator of the Thirteen Worlds and Battle Queen of the Scrax. What say you? I am Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Surrender now and we can avoid bloodshed. I must say, because we watched it so many times, um, a bit like how we used to quote French and Saunders all the time, there's actually quite a few quotes from this that we used to say a lot. How many? <laughs> I've written loads down. I couldn't believe it, how many. Um, yeah. Let's read out my favourites. <laughs> yeah. So one of them was Morgane saying, get the tab. <laughs> Which we used to say a lot. I must get the tab. Get away from me. And also, who fled the field at Camlan? <laughs> <laughs> to face you, Anselin, who fled the field at Camlan. Anselin the Craven, I call you. <laughs> Anselin the Craven, I call you. Another one um, was um, the Destroyer when he says, "What else?" He says instead of saying "What else," he says, "What else?" <laughs> what does he want the world for? Why to devour it? What else? Perhaps, <laughs> which was just—I love the way she said. Perhaps. And there will be no battle here. I quite like that one. No! No! I command it! There will be no battle here! Oh, I've got another one here as well that I really loved. What is the incantation? <laughs> Glorious. Um, I want to say that the continuity, which had been a problem I felt in the mid-80s when, like, for instance, Attack of the Cybermen, which is all about Mondas and things that people would never have remembered. But I think there was a lot of continuity-laden stuff in Battlefield. But for me, it really worked at the time. And I was so excited about it, more excited than I can probably um, remember. But things like Sergeant Benton tree planting detail at the, at the double and, and, yeah. and they saying... Who's Elizabeth Shaw? And I'm like, oh my God, she just mentioned Elizabeth Shaw on live TV. <laughs> that, that mattered, didn't it? It was lovely. And just every bit of watching The Brigadier again was just, yeah. it was such a joy because you kind of thought up until that point, you're never going to see him again in a Doctor Who role. And he was just, he was obviously so happy to be back there doing it. And we were so happy to be watching him. It was, yeah, it was lovely. And they even put things in that made you think of other Doctor Who, like, there was an exclusion zone around the place, just like in the Demons, which is a lovely yeah. touch. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he, he, even the character says he's enjoying himself, doesn't he? He says, you know, I think I'm rather enjoying myself. And it was so palpable to us as viewers, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. And one of my favourite continuity-laden lines was when the Doctor's trying to convince them that he's from Unit, and he says... Yeti, Autons, Daleks, Cybermen and Silurians. And that, that lovely bit when Ace said, that was five things. Yes. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> All systems failures were the result of a minor technical difficulty. I don't know where you got these from, but I intend to find out. Show these two out. I'd just like to say three things. What? Yeti, Autons, Daleks, Cybermen and Silurians. That was five. 
I think. She didn't even notice. Among all the varied wonders of the universe, there's nothing so firmly clamped shut as the military mind. Yeah, and I actually, one thing that I liked about Ace was when she took umbrage at the Brigadier. Oh, yeah. Um, what was the line that she said? She says, I'm not just the, when she's the latest one. She says, yes, just call me the latest one. But yes, it was, it was really nicely done, the way she just was like, actually, that's not okay. And I'm going to make a point about this right now. And And you can see that that's what in the history of um, the Brigadier's world was completely okay. It is just, you know, another female companion that he's going to probably largely ignore and focus on the Doctor. And she, yeah, she wasn't going to have a bar of that, yeah. which was nice. And that is a beautiful foreshadow of um, Rose in School Reunion, um, where kind of Sarah regards her as the latest one, really. And Rose is so furious. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a horrible way to be termed. Yeah, absolutely. Another bit that I loved in there was um, when Mordred, <laughs> and I hadn't really remembered this, so Morgane had got really annoyed with Mordred for doing something near a war memorial, which... I know, never really understood yeah. that. I never understood that at all. No, but I love that I could I could have seen him in the pub playing out differently. Like, when he was, like, he kind of he goes... Because he actually sits down in one of the armchairs at the pub and um, before the, what's she called, the pilot who wanders in? Lavelle. Yeah. So when she wanders in, and I, I was just thinking, like, at that point, like, I could so sit down with Mordred and Lavelle and have a bloody good beer. Like, they were, like, he was, like, up for a session. Like, he's like, I'm pissed off with me, Mum. I just want a drink. And, like, there was just, like, a coziness to the whole scene. And I was like, yeah, I could definitely sit down and have a beer with those guys. It was, yeah, I quite enjoyed, um, yeah his ability to just want a session right now and yeah exactly and i really like the fact that mordred obviously really fancies lavelle when she walks in as well he's like oh my word yeah (laughs) yes but see that's something that i found quite odd in that they keep making that point throughout that um a, a, a warrior maid is like a big deal. And like Anselin's really obsessed with Bambera, Mordred's really obsessed with Lavelle. Um, and they're all making out like it's a really amazing thing that women fight. But it's like, you're fucking led by Morgane, for goodness sake. This has got to be normal in yeah. your world. Like having a woman who fights is pretty much, you know, par for the course. It's not mental. Yes, in 1980s England, possibly it's a little bit different. But I, I think I was a bit annoyed looking back that they didn't... Yeah that as yeah she's a woman and she's freaking brilliant like that's just that's a normal thing they they did make the point too much that wow she's a woman and she does this that's amazing like no yeah you're dead right but on the other hand there's a lot in battlefield which is um quite i, I wouldn't say it's a feminist agenda but it's doing good things for women mm, I, I it felt forced but yes Obviously, having Bambera there, I wish Bambera wasn't. I I, I wish she'd been more likable as a character. Okay, she was quite one dimensional. She was just, um, uh, yeah. She had the one line about, "Oh, I'll go and make a cup of tea then," and that was kind of good. But she was just, you don't like her, and I just thought, well, really, you can be a female brigadier and exert your authority and be a brilliant person, but you don't have to be a complete arse to everyone you meet. Mm. Like, and she was completely unlikable throughout. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't buy her um, romance with Anselin. Um, no. Really at all. Really just forced. No. And I think if it was done again today, then definitely Bambera would be gay, I think, and would fancy one of the female characters. Yeah. Yeah, that would be more plausible. But yeah, the whole thing didn't, it didn't gel and it didn't take into account any real natural chemistry there. But I guess when you cast, you can't know that that's going to work or not. Yeah. yeah. In this world, we have a great and honourable tradition of tactical withdrawal. Uh, you wish to run away. Well, there can be but 30 of them at the most. If you don't start running, I'll kill you myself. Now, come on! Winifred. What? They'll be trophed. Not now, Anselind! Um, the things that I thought were... I mean, things that kind of had a, a feminist agenda, but not an agenda as such, because it was never as strong as that, but things like the fact that 
I love the fact when Anselin and the Brigadier are arguing as to who takes the sword, and Ace just like, says, oh, give me that, and she just cuts through all the chivalry and nonsense. I love that. But perhaps that's Ace as a character than anything to do with, you know, women can do it too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, she, she she didn't do a bad job, to be honest. She she did try and put a bit of dimension behind who she was. There was, um, I know she she struggled in the acting world, <laughs> poor thing. But she, uh, I did feel like she tried her hardest in this, and she, uh, unfortunately, it was her and Xiao Young chatting shit about explosives that really didn't get us anywhere and just made you cringe quite a lot to be honest there was the pottery no... pig scene i wrote that down as something i really disliked and all that boom business no yeah. boom. <laughs> i remember cringing at the time boom. yeah mm. you know not not impressive and how young was just I was really annoyed, actually, when Lavelle died. I was just thinking, why is Lavelle dying when we've still got Xiao Young chatting shit in the corner? Like, she's just there, just talking rubbish. Game. Well, I don't know what's going on. Can someone tell me what's going on? No, shut up. Stop being annoying. Just She's really just completely useless throughout. She offered no value as a character. And, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, other other than someone for Ace to spar against in the... Um... In the chalk circle, I suppose. Then... God, anything else. I've done that same role against a plank of wood and it would have had more dimension oh, to God. it. It really wasn't. <laughs> but I was pleased to see an Asian character, though. I was pleased to see an Asian character. Yeah, I think at the time we were more excited by that. Like, Doctor Who, like, leading the way and being multicultural did matter. And I remember us being like, ooh, that's new. Um but they really could have cast someone who could act. Like, just being Asian isn't enough. Like, you, you need something else yeah. for you. So, um, I mean, but remember, I mean, she was... <laughs> I don't know the other thing she'd done. I mean, do you remember Spats? Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do, that terrible cafe thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful, a burger joint, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Oh, oh, dreadful. goodness me. Yeah. There was some American woman and then some random people, all of whom couldn't act. Why don't you tell me what we're running here? A fast food restaurant or a Mardi Gras? Come on, it's just the kids goofing around. They're just having some fun. This is spats. They're not allowed to have fun. Well, blame me. I forgot to chain them to the grill this morning. <laughs> you know the rules. No conga lines before noon. Anybody lost a wallet? It's got 75 pounds in it. Oh, really? That one is mine. <laughs> Yeah, and she was also one of the girls in Cracker Jack. Cracker Jack! Cracker Jack! Obviously, she had quite the pedigree. <laughs> and also, you see her quite a lot in old episodes of Top of the Pops. Really? Because she's one of the spot dancers or whatever they call them. What the ones who they go to at the side to look at dancing oh, on podiums. Oh, when stuff. that was a thing. Yeah. So, but I was really shocked by Ace's racism, and I also didn't believe it. Um, Why? When was she racist? I saw that. Because when Morgan's playing with their minds in the chalk circle, just before they snap out of it and realise what's happening, she says, "Yellow slant eyed." About Shanghai. Yeah. Well, I guess that's not Ace's racism. I guess it was more that they thought that that would be an appropriate way to make her feel bad. But wow, that they chose to go there. Wow. That was unnecessary. It was kind of almost under her breath, but I definitely heard it and I was like, ooh. Um, But then it didn't ring true for Ace at all, even if her mind was being played with, because she had her best friend, Manisha whose house was firebombed. So that was not who she was against or angry with in any way. Someone's playing games with our minds. Oh, they breed their children strong on this world. <laughs> no matter. There shall be an end to these games. Oh, I've just got another really good line. Go on then. 
and become his handmaidens in hell. <laughs> Absolute monk. Yeah. Oh, I loved that line so much. Watched and rewatched. However, I mean, loved that line. Had no memory of the blue dude whatsoever. Like, he was new oh. for me. <laughs> because he was actually kind of pointless. He didn't actually yes. do much at all. No. And I think that's the problem with Battlefield as a whole, is that it tries to do too much. It definitely has too many characters. It has too many plot threads. You've got the missile. You've got the dig. You've got the transdimensional knights. And then you've got the destroyer as well, and the spaceship under the lake. And it's like, oh, my Lord, how much they more can we throw really this? explain many of them at all. Like, you don't get to fight. Yeah, every now and again, she's like, I've conquered many worlds. And you're like, okay, cool, didn't know that. And that's as much as you find out about that. Like, and and also, I don't, like, they go through this, like, vortex thing, and they end up, like, a couple of miles down the road. That That's a bit strange. I thought they were going to end up somewhere cool when he starts spinning around in the pub in a vortex. But he um, yeah. doesn't actually go anywhere. He could have just popped down the road and got there just as quickly. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, something else that just occurred to me that I want to mention because I'll forget otherwise is at the end of episode one when Brigadier Bambera says you and your freaky friends and I remember that line so well because obviously it was repeated in the in the stop episode two but again Bambera wouldn't have said that no having grown up as black and female and going into the military to try and rise up the ranks I don't think she would have called anyone a freak no because she would have been so she would have been so inclusive and understanding of people on the margins. So I just didn't buy that line at all. Yeah, no, it didn't seem like it was written sympathetically for the characters in many of them. Yeah, it was, yeah, it didn't take into account who these people were. They were just lines they had to serve. Yeah. One thing that really impressed me and surprised me and also made me forgive Battlefield some of its lack of explanation is just how much... All the business with Morgaine and the Doctor as Merlin and all the stuff about notes being left for the Doctor by the Doctor. It was so, so new Who in terms of approach. Actually, they, they hadn't in classic Who often done the whole going back in your own timeline to give yourself hints idea, had they? No, it was and it was very timey-wimey, but they didn't necessarily explain it in full. And I thought it was very groundbreaking in that sense. Yeah, that's true. Um, I remember being super excited, actually, um, at the dig when he says, oh, yes, I recognise my own handwriting. And that, to me, like, even though it almost seemed like a throwaway comment, really got my stomach. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And, yeah, that was pretty cool. What's this? Ah, now, that's a bit of a mystery. No one's been able to decipher the carving. It says, dig hole here. Extraordinary. What does it say that in? My handwriting. Ace, we need a hole. Right. Yeah, and the door was key to his voice pattern as well, wasn't it? Down below in the spaceship. Yes. Um, I wasn't yeah. particularly loving the whole bang the bit of concrete with an umbrella. And yes, that's however many years ago. <laughs> that's 8,000 year old concrete. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You cannot tell that by a bit of concrete dust, but okay. But again, that was a nice idea that there could be an archaeological dig with a concrete wall underneath it. Yes. I like that idea of how that could have somehow happened. And also, um, I found it strange that the Doctor and um, Morgane had quite similar powers. Like, it was like the Doctor did a lot of mind control and weird stuff in there, which I wasn't really expecting. Like, he's like, you will now leave and you will do this. And it was like, okay, I've not seen that before. And it was almost like he was being he was being Merlin as opposed to being the Doctor. Like, it just, it didn't seem like a Doctorish thing to do when he was being that kind of character that can change people's minds. No, you're going to leave now, whatever he's called, that Carberry Trust guy. You're very angry. Of course we're angry. And you want to leave. No, we do not want to leave. Of course you want to leave. Of course we do. I wouldn't stand for any nonsense if I were you. Look, Doctor, the situation is perfectly simple. We are very angry, and we want to leave. Is that right, Pat? Don't get in our way. I wouldn't dream of it. It's just no reasoning with these people.
We don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. I also would like to declare here and now that Morgane is the proto-river song. Um, so much about her reminds me of River Song in the sense that she was talking about the Doctor, he has worn many faces and let this be our last meeting sort of thing. It reminded me so much of River. Yeah. And perhaps if the Doctor hadn't been played by Sylvester McCoy, but by someone with a bit more gravitas and chemistry with Jean Marsh, then they could have really played yes. a sort of almost a romance between them as part of it. But I have been listening to Reality Bomb and about how romance is completely unacceptable in classic Doctor Who. <laughs> I remember that that episode where it ends with Ace being um, stuck with drowning, basically, in that capsule bit in the ship. That I remember waiting like it was an eternity. It really, I remember her being stuck in there. And when I, when I was watching, obviously, with Christy, and I was just thinking, fuck, she's never going to get out of there. It's going to be ages. We're going to be stuck in this bloody ship forever, and we're going to wait for it to get out. Oh, God. And it just, I think the, the memory of waiting a whole week had made me feel that bit took forever. But actually, it was just moments. It really was just, oh, she gets stuck there. Then the doctor gets her out. It's all fine now. But it really, it, when you wait a week, the gravity of her being stuck in that, little bit where she might drown was huge I was so worried about her I just thought that that really could be it she's gonna drown it's gonna be over so that that's something I'm not used to feeling with Doctor Who because I always know the next episode is two seconds away and we're gonna find out what happens but it was that wasn't the, my experience with Battlefield I know it's quite a contrived cliffhanger in many ways but I still love it to bits it still gets me in my stomach that cliffhanger just the idea of that and how she's so trapped there and you know I love that. I think it's one of the coolest cliffhangers we've got. monster thing that kind of bops around in that spaceship um in my head I had given it so much more form like I had remembered being afraid of it and how how violent it was and how it could even knock the doctor out and and obviously watching it back it was just a bit of a green bit of light that didn't have much power whatsoever um but yeah it just did seem like at the time I thought wow this thing this snake thing it's so scary and it, it like when it bashed him in the face I, I really had remembered giving it a form and um actually having real a, a tangible presence so yeah it, I guess it just shows how when I'm younger I make things more fun <laughs> <coughs> absolutely um oh and I love that the brigadier saved the day there because well, that um, I don't know I don't have the best memory for Doctor Who, as we all know. Um, but I don't feel that the the Brigadier has saved the day many times. In He's generally been the one in peril that the Doctor has had to save. But actually, obviously twice in, in Battlefield, he was the one who came in there and smashed the little funny-shaped thing to save the Doctor in the spaceship. And also at the very end, he's the saviour as well. And that's not the role that the Brigadier used to play. He was more the... He'd facilitate the fact that the Doctor could be there, but the Doctor saved everyone. Pitiful. Can this world do no better than you as a champion? Probably. <laughs> I just do the best I can. The thing is, then, that the writer, Ben Aranovich, he <clears throat> has always been on record as regretting the fact that he didn't kill the Brigadier off in Battlefield. Oh. What do you think about that? 
Um, oh, obviously, the, the idea of killing any character off doesn't seem quite right, but we don't see... I know, I quite like the idea of him hanging around with Doris afterwards. Like, if only she didn't say, wee, when she got on the Bessie. Oh, I know. She didn't have a line. She was like, I'm going to be seen still. I don't have many lines in this thing, so I'm going to make a stupid noise instead. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, I, I guess I like the idea that he died happily with Doris and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if that was probably how he wanted to do it. But, yeah, it's a good point, actually, it's Ben Aronovich, because he's he's a brilliant author, isn't he? Because isn't he the... I'm going to get this wrong. Rivers of London. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, because I've read all of those, and they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do read. I think that was the point of that sentence. <laughs> 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 can we talk about some of the minor characters please can we talk about pat and elizabeth <laughs> okay tell me about pat and elizabeth well i always remember feeling really confused that george Parrish from juliet bravo was behind the bar because i just knew him so much as that character that i really couldn't cope with him as anyone else um Elizabeth was played by June Bland, who was <laughs> rude. Sorry. Who was Ber- was she Berger in Earthshock? One of the characters in Earthshock, one of the, the second in command women. Did she have the same level of eye makeup in Earthshock, or had she at least as much? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, it was actually a shock to me that she got her sight back, and which again is amazing. I, I do love how bad my memory is. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's quite nice. That That's a pretty good way of getting the tab. Like, Get the tab. That that was quite a nice little um, bit that they could add to it. And it was made stronger by the fact that that <clears throat> Morgane's moral code and way of doing things is so different and unpredictable. That was interesting. The fact that she could just kill Val so quickly and then get the tab. Get the tab. By restoring Elizabeth's eyesight. That was so topsy-turvy. And so I thought that was really clever. It, it makes you feel a little bit on edge, doesn't it? When someone has such strong morals, the fact that fighting near a war memorial was just like, I'm going to cast my son out, but okay, I'm just going to kill this woman for information. And oh, actually, I'm going to give this woman her eyesight back. Yeah, like she she was really so unpredictable, yet so clear in her own mind about what was correct. And actually that last bit where the doctor relies on her judgment to stop the missile launch was pretty big. Um, just the fact that, because I was watching it again, I was like, actually, he's waiting for her. And obviously it's scripted, but I was like, she might just not. She might decide morally. No, I think people do deserve to die. So actually a couple of seconds later, you're all stuffed. But he thought that his argument was enough to convince her. And clearly it was. So yeah, her moral code being the decider for the whole thing was pretty big. Yeah, particularly as her moral... Unpredictability had been set up so cleverly by those other incidents. I thought that was really strong because you didn't know whether she was going to be persuadable at all. Mm. No. Um, Actually, can someone explain? I say someone, you. Why were there missiles? Why was there a missile? <laughs> I literally was about to say, I never understood about the, the missile convoy. What were they um, for? I don't know. It was never explained. I like to think they were going to a peace conference that the master was going to hijack. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, just really, like, it's such an unlikely and peaceful place for that to have been a thing. Oh, oh, I tell you what we haven't talked about. Red trousers. <laughs> I've written them down. I've written them down. <laughs> I wrote, red trousers was so important. I wrote, I wrote down, red trousered soldier is a bit shit. I wrote <laughs> But because he's so clear, like, that he's the guy in the red trousers, he keeps dying, and then he gets back up again because you see him later on. It's like, well, we know it's you because you're the only one in the bright red fucking trousers. It was just, we've got eight of them. We're going to use them. We don't have any more uniforms. Just fucking go with it. (laughs) It's just stupid. We actually had a scratch on the videotape, our recording, our home video recording, of the point where we used to rewind the bit where the red trousered guy <laughs> red trousers was just a thing. Like it was just like a sentence we'd say regularly. Oh, red trousers! <laughs> Don't know what it represented, but it was important. So, other things I didn't like. I always go to this point. Other things I didn't like. Um, I never understood why the knights 
were flying through space like missiles. No, good. I thought very strange. And I thought they should. I thought they should appear magically in a puff of blue smoke or something. That would have been better. Because if it's another dimension, it just seems more likely. But yeah, they've come from space. If they are missile type things, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I never understood the bit where Peter Wormsley at the start says when he's in the car and he says, "I hate that sound, don't you?" And I'm like. I've never understood what the sound is. And I think it's to the editing. There should have been an explosion you could hear, but you couldn't. Oh. Or, and as we've already said, I never understood by the missile was at the lake, by the dig. No. And I think if they'd put a scene in where the missile, maybe one of the knights flew in or flew past and the person driving the car got confused, driving the missile, got distracted and then crashed into the, Dig sites that would have understood that made that so much more make sense. I was struck by the fact that the brig takes ages to leave his house. Yeah, forever, and even then, like he goes to London for a briefing, and then he comes out. It's like fucking hell, we just arrive. But I did like that he had a nice bit of interplay with um, Lavelle in the um, in the helicopter. Like that's the thing. Like quite a nice little actress like she was like laughing at him while he was sleeping and stuff and like I, I quite enjoyed their little piece together how did it go sir? oh usual bureaucracy inch thick forms and half a pint of blood that's London for you funny how it looks beautiful at sunrise never noticed I've seen one heliport and you've seen them all and, oh, yeah, I've got another bit. I've got another quote here that I like. I bear you no ill will, but when we meet again, I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, I think the Brigadier doesn't catch up with the Doctor until episode three, which is just, you would never do that today. Yeah. It's bizarre. No. Yeah. I didn't like Mordred and, and his soldiers appearing through the wall at the end of episode one. I never... I never quite understood the setup of that brewery because people seem to be able to fly through it and into it and over it and without any sort of reference to solid objects. <laughs> One thing that confused me was that Blue Dude, I actually, when when I started watching it, because obviously, as you know, I like to download, um, it kind of started like halfway through episode three and all I saw was Blue Dude. And I was like, oh shit, I've downloaded Curse of Fenric by accident. <laughs> I actually thought... <laughs> It was a bloody hemovore. That's <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, but they should have really distinct. Oh, another thing, something I'd not known before. Because I mean, there was only four ep- four stories, wasn't there, in that season? Yeah. And in two of them, there is a moment when someone with incredibly long fingernails squishes their head against someone's skull. That's not something that happens regularly in everyday life. But they chose that as a plot device twice. Oh, interesting. Do you not think? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes. Good. Well done. Um, we've talked a bit about Ace's relationship with the Doctor. I just wanted to, just to, to go back on that, something else I liked about it, as well as being father figure and all that cool relationship stuff. I love the fact that he he um, he had those lines, I have an ace at my sleeve, ace, um, exotic alien swords are hard to come by, aces are rare. Um, yes. And the fact that he... He knew she would have the silver bullets. I really like that. Yes, he trusted her. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I'd forgotten quite how strong that relationship was and yeah. how comforting it was as a viewer because you were like, oh, look. And I think it's because it came after years of feeling that the Doctor and the Companion didn't really get on that well. Yes, there was no love between most of the Doctors and Companions for a long time. They were all the Doctors generally annoyed by the stupidity of their companions really so yeah no you're right that was a new thing you almost have to go back to the fourth doctor and romana because he was irritated by adric um and by tegan this yep. he got on well with not there was never very much of that probably more peter davison probably wanted more than there was of them getting on well yeah and then perry absolutely not not until the trial of a time lord and it was all too late and mel ter- definitely no one could like to so- <laughs> so yeah i think i just remember thinking oh are they finally getting this right and they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves and this is yeah. the doctor who that i want to watch every week yeah yeah it's, but, it did feel like a lift from what we'd been yeah. 
having to deal with up until then. Like it was, we're getting somewhere. They, these are discrete stories that have a purpose that show important things about the people that we care about. There was a good element of that. Good. But it's not our fault. I mean, if I'd had some nitro, then maybe I could... What do you mean, good? Exotic alien swords are easy to come by. Aces are rare. Okay. Um, I just wanted to mention two things that I hadn't mentioned before. One is that I'm still waiting for a £5 piece to go into circulation. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a nice bit of forethought, though, wasn't it? It was. It's not happened yet. I'm still waiting. <laughs> it's going to come. Don't just wait. You're just getting impatient. And the fact that there's... um. I love the clever cover-up of the fact that it's really dark in the TARDIS at the start, and A says, why is it dark in here? And that's because that's the last ever TARDIS scene you see, because they've got rid of most of the set, and it's just like one flat and part of the, and the console, because they didn't have the set anymore. No, that's so, interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I've got another line, another line. Tell me. Sorry, I did write a lot of lines. Die well, my son. Uh, <laughs> loved how easy she was about that. It's like, yeah, okay, but I'm not going to save you. If Merlin's going to kill you, that's going to happen. Nothing about, like, I can use emotional blackmail on other people. You can't use it on me. If my son has to die, okay. I loved how strong Morgane was with that. And also her line of, he is steeped in blood, about the brigadier. It just, yeah, nice. One scene that I didn't remember, and I was like, I don't know what this is at all, and I have no memory of it. And then I realised I was watching online, which I don't ordinarily do, because I didn't have my DVD with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was away on business when I watched this. Was the scene, at, I don't know whether it was on your version, about how sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Ace and the Doctor having a conversation on a spiral staircase. Did you have that? No, no, not at all. Don't remember that. So I think it must be from the special edition or something. But um, oh, and they're on this spiral staircase, and it's got disco tube lighting all around the spiral staircase, which is a massive design no-no. Whereabouts is that? <laughs> well, I think it's only on the special edition. It must have been a cut scene. Yeah. Know what? Where is it supposed to be? It's. It's a scene that links the fact that they've got to get through the dragon's mouth with the door key to the point where they go down to the bottom bit where... No, that's definitely not in there. Because you def there's a real disconnect between that door mouth opening thing and them being in some area with a weird-ass snake. So, oh, that's quite bizarre. No, that's quite cool. You've got more than me. Yes. Winning. This is a spaceship. More than that. It's a craft for travelling between dimensions. It's more like being in some huge animal. Who built it? It wasn't built, it was grown. Who grows spaceships? Very advanced bioengineers. That's a stupid question. Well, if they're grown, how do they fly? Magic. It'll be feasible, Professor. What is Clark's law? Well, any advanced form of technology is indistinguishable from magic. Well, the reverse is true. Any advanced form of magic is indistinguishable. From technology. So, I think it's time to sum up. So, um, your, your thoughts, Al, in summary. Um, it was a positive time in Doctor Who where they were trying to bring it back to something that everyone loved. Um, they didn't have perhaps the perfect Doctor for it. Um, they didn't necessarily cast correctly, but they were trying to go in the right direction. So for me, it was a really a positive feeling. It gave me hope. Um, and yeah, it obviously didn't go anywhere. But it was it was a real um, a, a ray of light, I guess, for a um, classic Doctor Who fan who is never going to be fully assuaged by the new Doctor Who joy because it is just too shiny. Love it, but not enough. This 
this gave us what we wanted back in the 80s when nothing else would do. Yeah. So I would say that overall, I think it's too full of content and characters and ideas, and it just needed a bit more space to breathe. But then something I really like about it is its breakneck speed and the fact that it does pack so much in and you're not waiting for things to happen. You're always zooming around like, oh, my God, what are they doing now? What's happening there? Where's this? But, um, yeah, just a, f a few few less characters and a bit more introspection from some of them. Yeah. And I think as you said, things like um, let's have Lavelle survive all the way through because she would have been kick-ass. She would. And, uh, yeah. Just a few things I would I would I would tweak to have made it something really sublime rather than something that was that was I would guess it was very good. Yeah. Um, so relieved to have gone back to it and have enjoyed it. Yeah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so you know what we've got to do now. Who goes into the Hall of Fame? Well, we need to take a moment to remember how hard it would be to be a. A grown man who has to laugh maniacally for what seems like a full minute. To me, <laughs> Mordred and the amount that he was expected to laugh like a madman, he did a very good job given that incredibly hard role. I, I did like Mordred. I liked his spoilt childness. I liked his over-the-top kind of, yeah, he was mummy's boy, but he was quite a, a strong person too, and he's quite good at taking the piss out of Anselin. Um, yeah. Can I put? I'm gonna to have to put Lavelle in there. Lavelle's got to go in. She, yeah, she never quite got a chance to shine, but we have so many high hopes for her. <laughs> she could have been amazing. She has a few moments where she's like, um, the Brigadier says, says we're going down. She's like, yeah, don't that something about down's not the problem. And there's a yes, few things where hints at stuff. Yeah, no, she was. She was. She did have yeah a good character. Uh, are we allowed to choose Morgane for just not being supporting character, but being the best human ever? Not human. I just honestly, Morgane, we cannot get past Morgane's brilliance in in Battlefield. She made this what it was. Without Morgane, imagine what it would have been. She turned this into something wonderful because she was so strong because every single line she delivered, she delivered with a ferocity that you believed entirely. She was fantastic. Indeed, she was. Okay, on that on that note, I think it's time to draw things to a close. So um, I will speak to you again next month when we will uncover and um, explore more Doctor Who together. And I, for one, can't wait. And um, we look forward to the people on Twitter being a bit more sensible this time. Yeah. And, yeah, let's rerun re that Sunmakers poll. Yes, think long and hard next time, please, people. <laughs> so, um, without more ado, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye. <laughs> If you enjoy World Enough and Time, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would make my daddy and Auntie Alex very happy. You can also follow them on Twitter at World Enough Pod. Why not tweet them today? <laughs>